Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned in the fastest one hour in Christian Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today as we broadcast live right here on radio in Tampa Bay and online at letstalkfaith.com, iHeartRadio, Red Nation Rising, tune in so many other places where you can find us, however you're listening to us today. We are so grateful that you've tuned in, and we just want to invite you to allow the Lord to speak to your hearts as we challenge not only us, but you to dig deeper into what connects your faith, what you learn on Sunday with what you're doing Monday through Friday, or if you work on Saturday or Sunday, whatever it is, how you're working, no matter what you do, your workplace It's your mission field. And in that mission field, you and me may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. So here's my question. Are you tired of being conventional, going along with the crowd? Should you blaze your own path? Is there a right way to fight conventional wisdom? So the question is, was Jesus conventional or unconventional? Well, Rick Box is joining us today, and he's going to help us run our business and our life in an unconventional manner as he introduces five keys to leading an unconventional business and an unconventional life, fighting the crowd to follow Jesus in business is the way I like to say it. Rick Box with the Integrity Resource Center. Welcome back to I Work For Him. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's great to be with you. So, you know, that that whole idea behind unconventionalness, you know, what what has the Lord done unconventionally in your life recently? <laughs> wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, God's always stretching us, and He's always challenging us to look at things from a uh, worldly perspective, I mean, not a worldly perspective, but a godly perspective. And, you know, likewise, as a leader in ministry, God's constantly putting things before me that just are challenging, that I'm having to think about, is that the right way to do it, or is that just the world's way to do it? And uh, so I, I have those challenges, like many people do, almost daily. And so God continues to uh, just give me insights from his word as to how uh, things might be handled better. And so I'm, I'm constantly challenged in that way. You know, and it is so true that we got to live that Romans 12, 1 and 2, or 12, 2 verse, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing mm-hmm. the way you think. That's that whole idea. Okay, what is the world doing? What are we doing? Which is God's way? Let's stop copying the ridiculous failures of the world. Yes. 
So you had just a, just one final thought before we go to our first break. I know you had the privilege of giving away one of your daughters in December. How hard was it to let her go into the arms of a man of her dreams? You know, in this case, it really wasn't hard at all. I'm just so impressed with the young man and just his uh, godly virtue that she married. And so it was just a, a day full of total joy and peace, knowing that this is a, a great couple and that God is going to do some remarkable things with the two of them. Well, you said that, like, okay, that wasn't so hard, but oh my goodness, I can't imagine what it's going to be like that one day <laughs> when my youngest walks down that aisle. But it is, I'm, I'm grateful for your example. So that that was really cool, and I'm, I'm congratulations to you and Kathy and all your family in, in that marriage. All right, so let's just lay some groundwork for your authority, because, you know, everybody's going, okay, fine. That's great. You guys want to talk about unconventional business, but where did Rick get the authority to talk about this stuff? People hear my story all the time. How did you get to be such a sage of business advice? Where did that come from? You know, God placed me in a uh, a bank many years ago that I was working for a bank president, and he was the rarest of individuals I had ever worked for because most of the time when I would go in and try and get a decision out of him about the bank, he would quote a proverb or he would point to a passage in Scripture and tell me this is what we should do and the reason why is is because of this proverb or this principle. And that really just rocked my world because I was constantly at odds with what he was telling me because I had learned business from my banking and my CPA background from more of a worldly perspective. And suddenly I was learning a different way to look at business, and his decisions continued to play out over and over again to be extremely wise. And so God used him to kind of get my attention and then over time, after uh, I really came to Christ through all of that, and I went on a, just a uh, search of what else does the Bible have to say about business, because that was a passion of mine. And I stumbled into uh, Larry Burkett's ministry, Crown Financial Ministry, and I went through a teacher-counselor certification and training program that they had. Uh, I read as much as I could read. And then I began going through the Bible, actually reading it through the lens of a business leader, taking notes in my journal and learning from that. But one thing that really helped me, Jim, was uh, soon thereafter, Crown Ministries began referring all of their business counseling calls. They were on four or 500 radio stations, and so they were getting lots of counseling calls. And so they asked if they could refer all the business ones to me. Well, I had no idea what that would mean, but at the peak of their radio program, I was fielding over 600 business counseling calls a year and helping businesses through all kinds of crises. And when someone calls you and says, what's the Bible say about this problem that I have? In the early stages, I oftentimes would have to say, you know, I'm not quite sure. Let me go dig in and find out, and I'll call you back. But it was a great proving ground and training ground for me because a lot of those calls were oftentimes the same kind of call, just a different name attached. And so God really used that as a way to help me better understand what does Scripture really say and how can it practically be applied to the business world. You get pretty excited when you talk about that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
Well, so you had quite a privilege of working under somebody who actually tied, they, they dotted the I's for you, they crossed the T's for you on connecting the Bible, biblical wisdom, and business wisdom. That was a great privilege. It's almost like we need to find a way to bring that to the masses because that kind of discipleship is almost yeah. unheard of. Oh, absolutely. When you do this business mentoring, when you do that today, I know that really all of that is what led you into writing unconventional business. When you look at, is that the way you looked at the way that guy did business? Was that unconventional? You know, to me at that point in time, it certainly was. And I think for many people it is. And now there's pieces of God's way that have made its way into business world vernacular. For instance, it's not that uncommon to hear people talk about things like servant leadership. But when they do, they know that that's still different than the way our flesh usually would prefer to do business. Because let's face it, we would rather people serve us than us looking for ways to serve someone else. Right. But if we're going to serve people, that gives us an incredible opportunity to befriend them, to, to I mean, for them just to see Jesus in us when we serve other people, especially as leaders. That really opens some doors. But you brought up such a great point there. Hastiness. So we're going to go off track for just a second. But making hasty decisions. One of the things that I've learned, I want you to comment on this. One of the things that I think I've learned in my 37 years of following Christ is that if we ever have to make a decision really, really, really fast, the decision is usually no, because God doesn't usually move that fast. I mean, if somebody's asking us to make a decision, hey, you got to decide right away, you gotta, you know, I got to know right away, they are like, yeah, I can't approach that. Making hasty decisions usually leads to trouble, doesn't it? I mean, you give me your perspective. Oh, absolutely. I, and I think, you know, the, the proverb speaks about hasty speculation, you know, leads to poverty. And I think it's very true when people make rash decisions, they aren't usually very well informed decisions, and they can be disastrous. And so we do need to prayerfully consider and pause long enough to let the Lord speak into it. It's And that's just one of those things where I I constantly am quoting Buck Jacobs all the time, especially to the really to the, the millennials and the Generation Xers, just reminding them, hey, we live in a microwave world, hmm. but we serve a crockpot God. <laughs> and, and so often we're trying to rush, 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 but that's not the way God works. He right. doesn't have a million things for us to accomplish in a lifetime. You know, he may just have one or two or three major things. And and we're often in a hurry to get those things done. Have you ever been in a hurry to get something done for God? <laughs> sure. I, uh, I've raced into things sometimes that haven't worked out too well because they weren't of God. They were something I just thought I could do for God. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you put that because that's exactly what I said. Yep, I'm just trying to help God out. Yep, that didn't work out so good for me. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to unconventional business because really this is a it's a paradigm shift. Because anybody in business, I want to put this caveat in there. When we say unconventional business, I want to challenge everybody listening, even if they're not involved in business, even if their workplace is somewhat nonprofit related or it's a church or, or whatever it may be, that it's looking at things not in the way that the world looks at it, but actually looking at it, okay, what's the biblical perspective on this? Because any non-typical approach would be considered unconventional. Agree or disagree? Yes. 
Yes, uh, I, but I think the key is is we're defining unconventional along the lines of what God's Word would teach us to do. Mm, I love that. And the, and the, the sad part is, a hundred years ago, this wasn't unconventional. Even sixty years ago, this wasn't <laughs> unconventional. But it's unconventional today. Yes, it's certainly changed. All right, so your book introduces these five keys to developing an unconventional business, five keys to growing a business God's way. Here's the question. Does God really care about what we do in business? I think absolutely. God wants to be involved in as much of our life as we will allow him, and he has planned it out for us. So we need to realize that. If you remember Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The fact that God prepared something in advance for you and I to do means he had a call and a plan for us. And if that includes being in business or whatever workplace we serve in, that's a major part of it. A lot of times we shelve that. And we say, well, he cares about my family, he cares about my marriage, but surely he doesn't care about my work. Well, that doesn't make any logical sense, because more than 40 to 45% of our waking hours are spent at work. So are we saying God really only cares about maybe two or three hours a week that I'm dealing with other things? I don't think so. I think he is very concerned about all aspects of our life, and our work makes up a big part of that. All right, so you spent all those years giving advice uh, on behalf of Crown Financial Ministries when people were, you know, you, you were given business advice. You've been in business a number of years. You've been in ministry a number of years. How have you seen God show you that he really cares about what you do in business? Hmm. You know, I think he shows me that he cares by answering my prayers, by directing and leading my steps so that I'm able to honor and glorify him with the work that I'm doing rather than just assuming it's a paycheck that enables me to feed my family. And so just the fact that God is involved, he listens to my prayers, he answers them, he guides and directs my steps, tells me that uh, he really does care and that it's important to him. You know, just recently, I've just really become attuned to people who talk about, you know, I just have, it's just a job. It's not a job. I really have all this really important stuff I do over here, but what I do during the day, it's just a job. It's a J-O-B. And I try to correct people. Say, no, 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 no. You're missing the opportunity there. Yes. God really wants to use you in that workplace, whatever that workplace looks like. But so many people have gotten the wrong impression that what they do at Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday night, maybe in a WANA group or whatever it may be, you know, that's important stuff. But what they do during the day, well, that's just a job. I mean, how do you how do you help people understand? There's no such thing as just a job. That God really has a calling. On your, well, on your that, yes, and, and Jim, that's so tragic because those people are walking through life without much uh, joy and adventure and little engagement. And if they're not engaged in their work, it's not very enjoyable, and it's usually not as fruitful as it can be. And so if people start to just get the picture that God has designed and wired them for a very specific set of skills and abilities and talents that they can use, then that's important. 
And it reminds me of the story in Exodus where, you know, I, I love the trivia question, who was the first person in Scripture that was filled with the Spirit of God. And most people will say, you know, it's a priest, or it's Moses, or it's Abraham. But it's a little-known person named Bezalel. And Bezalel was actually the craftsman that made the stuff that went into the first tabernacle. And it tells us that he was filled with the Spirit of God. And God gave him the skills and the abilities and the talents to do the craftsman's work that he was doing. I think all of us are Bethelels. I think God cares about each and every one of us, and he wants us engaged in the work that he's called us to. Mm. That's a good word. We should end right there, but we still got time left in this segment. <laughs> all right, so your book is the title of the book, Unconventional Business, Five Keys to Growing a Business God's Way. And again, I want you to, those people who listen, even if you don't run a business, I want you to pay attention because the five keys are going to help you no matter what your workplace looks like. But What's the difference between growing a business, and I, I think maybe there's a, a, a simple answer to this, but maybe not. What's the difference between growing a business God's way and growing a business man's way? You know, Jim, I, I think I can give three quick examples. We could go on forever with a lot of different contrasts, but I think it helps people whenever they just think about the contrast. For instance, the world says, pursue money and personal glory. I mean, if you think about it, that's what so many people are doing in the marketplace, is they're pursuing more and more money and more and more glory for themselves. But God says, pursue him and his purposes. And so there's a huge contrast between setting aside my wants and needs and desires and instead embracing God's, even in the work that I do. Uh, a second one I would say is, as the world says, seek to be served. You know, climb the corporate ladder so other people will serve you. But God says, no, 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 I want you to be servant leaders. I want you to put down your own agenda and go serve others. And then a third one I would say is the world says, leverage other people's money. Go borrow all that you can and try and leverage it so that you can get rich and make more money. But God says, no, I want you to avoid debt. And instead of trusting in the bank, trust in God and look to him for the financial provision and needs that you have. So those are just three, but, you know, there's dozens more that we could talk about. Mm, I like that. So here's what I wrote down. The three differences you say, building a business man's way versus God's way, the pursuit of money versus the pursuit of ministry, the pursuit mm -hmm. to be served versus the pursuit to serve, the pursuit to just be leveraged to run your business on somebody else's money versus trusting God for the provision. So I, right. it probably should be leverage versus God's provision. I'm not sure. I, I didn't. I, I tried to use the same words, couldn't think of another one. But okay, <laughs> that's that's pretty. That's decidedly different. Mm -hmm. But how often, I mean, I look at that, okay, how about churches? I mean, how about churches? I mean, when you look right. at running a church, is it about the money versus the ministry? Sometimes I'm thinking that gets skewed a little bit. Is it to be served or to serve? Sometimes I think pastors really struggle with that. And definitely the leverage thing. I mentioned on a show earlier this week, it might have been, yeah, I think it was earlier this week, might have been last week, I lose track, about I sat and ridiculed a guy in a in a church business meeting 25 years ago because he said, if we can't pay cash for the building, we shouldn't build. And I'm like, come on, everybody does it. And I gave the guy, I gave the guy a hard time, and I, I really need to find the guy. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget. But I know now that if God's not providing the money, then we just need to wait. 
Right. But, wow, you talk about unconventional? Try to sell that one down the street anywhere. (laughs) It's not very uh, widely accepted. Oh, man. Okay, so a lot of people question the sanity of someone who says they're going to focus on a biblical model for business versus the man's way. So is there a success ratio difference between people running a business biblically or from based on a with a biblical worldview based on biblical principles versus somebody running a business not on those is there a difference in the success rate uh yes i think there certainly is uh, a lot of it sometimes is intangible but there have been some tangible studies uh for instance uh i've i've seen one that was written up in uh, entrepreneurship magazine of all places that said that companies that were run on biblical values they uh, had a 19% increase in operating income over other businesses and that they actually had 28% increase in their earnings growth from year to year. Uh, also, there's some uh, employee turnover stats that show that uh, you know if you are running according to biblical values, turnover on average is 13.9% compared to 40, over 48% for companies that have poor culture. Wow. All right, Rick. So let's take this. We just, right before the break, we're talking about some of those decidedly different factors or not factors, results for people who are running a business God's way versus running a business man's way. And you you said some pretty incredible things like operational revenues increased. You talked about the, uh, then you talked about 28%. uh, What was it? Yeah, increased in, in, yeah, increase in earnings growth. Earnings growth. I couldn't read my writing. It's terrible when I'm. I, I have to write and talk at the same time. I can't do that. All right. And then you talked about retention, which is the most costly expense in any business. Retention of people. Right. And you talked about a thirteen percent turnover in businesses run according to biblical principles versus a forty to forty-eight percent turnover rate. That's correct. Uh huh. Oh, I mean, I can't imagine what that number really turns out to be from a. A real number, but that number is that's a trillions of dollars number, uh, industry wide. Yes, because there's yes, nothing more expensive than losing a valuable employee. Yes, when you have to start all over again, it's pretty costly. Okay, so let's let's talk about um, these five keys to growing a business God's way. Okay, you know what are what are these five keys, and then let's talk about them. Yeah, the first one is develop a God-centered plan, and the second one is prepare yourself as a leader. Third is cultivate and mature your team, and the next is growing the top line and finally enhancing the bottom line. All right, so that's only five keys. Now, you know, a lot of Christians, they got three points or they got seven points or 12 points. Did you miss the biblical model here? <laughs> no, I think it works just fine. <laughs> okay, all right, just checking. Yeah, you know, I, and I and I I say that in all jokingness, but it's so funny how people, you know, every pastor has a three point sermon. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Does your pastor always have three point sermons? Most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where that number. I mean, it's nice. It's a nice number. Okay, so let's focus on the number one key today and just get started. And I know we'll still have to cover probably some of it next month, but let's really dig into that developing a God centered plan. You use, what What does it mean to have a God-centered plan? I mean, first of all, planning. I mean, how often do you run into business owners where they haven't even done any planning? 
It's very common that planning is just ignored. Actually, when I started a consulting practice years ago, I sent out a survey to business owners, and I asked the question, do you think planning is important? 99% said, yes, it's important. Then I asked the follow-up question, have you done any planning in the last year? And it was less than 50% said they had actually done any planning. And so it's, it's pretty common that we overlook the value and the importance of planning, but especially a God-centered plan. Because many of us may go on that mountaintop and come back with this great idea and vision that we have, but until we seek out what God's plan is, we're heading down a path that isn't uh, likely to be in alignment with God, and God can certainly trash anybody's plans if they're not lining up with his plan. And so I would much rather seek out God's plan, his ideas, and shape my business plan according to what his purpose is. All right, let's just step back just on what you just said, because what I have seen and I have done in my own life, let's just make it Jim personal here, because mm-hmm. I'm sure you've done the same thing. I go out, I make this really great plan, I put it in execution, and I say, God, I've got this plan, would you please bless it? Mm-hmm. And I've done that, and of course the answer is sometimes mm, yes, but most of the time, but that's not my plan. Why are you asking me to get involved in your plan? You didn't even ask me what my, my plan is. So right. often we get ahead of God, mm-hmm. and, and we're like, well, I'm going to make a plan, and we go. Because right. one of the biggest, I think, in my in the gym personal moment is that I get an idea, I get really excited about it, and I want to move forward, and God's saying, just wait. And I'm like, I want to go for it. He says, just wait. But I'm really excited. I'm just, he says, wait. <laughs> so how do you deal with that? I mean, you get people that actually want to plan, and then God tells them to wait. That's frustrating. You might as well not plan. That's true. However, you know, the, the alternative is to, to wait on the Lord to pursue what his plan is. And that's that's why I love and why I wrote the book around the story of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah, it's obvious when you read the book of Nehemiah that this is a man of action. I mean, he he built the walls around Jerusalem in only 52 days. And so he was a person that really took charge. But if you begin in chapter 1, you see that he spent four months praying about what to do with Jerusalem. And his heart was broken, and he sought the Lord, and he asked the Lord to give him a plan and to help him figure out how he was going to respond. And four months later, the Lord opened the door for the king to ask him, why are you so downtrodden? And he was able to tell the king, hey, my hometown is broken down, and somebody needs to go and fix it. And the king just asked him, well, what do you need? And he was ready. He had a plan. He'd been praying through it. And so when the king said, what do you need? He didn't just say, well, I think I'm going to need a little help. He pulled out his list. And he said, oh, by the way, I'm going to need some timber. I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need this and that. And because he was prepared, the king said, okay, I'll do it. And that that is so powerful. And I love the use of Nehemiah because a lot of people don't know Nehemiah or they, they know a little bit about Nehemiah, but they hardly ever think of him as a business guy because he was the wine taster. Right. And he was the king, which is honestly 
a pretty brutal job when you think about the whole goal is if the somebody's trying to poison the king, the wine taster, <laughs> he goes first. So well, you know, he I've heard it. I've heard it likened, Jim, in today's terms. I've heard that a cupbearer is probably more similar to a secret service agent than anybody else because, in essence, he was there to protect the king, take the bullet. Yeah. Yep. And, and so. He's, but he's got a heart and a passion, and and I think it's very important to note Nehemiah serving the king had probably never ever been to Jerusalem because right. he was a he was a young guy he was like our age he hadn't he, you know the Jerusalem had been sacked seventy years earlier right wow okay so Nehemiah he, he's you put him on he's got a plan you broke down Nehemiah's plan into seven steps, which that's good. That's more of a biblical thing. What were these seven steps? I'm sorry, I'm giving you a hard time about that. I probably shouldn't do that, but it's more fun anyway. All right, so these seven steps, what were the seven things that Nehemiah did that stepped him into a good plan? Because honestly, I think we all could learn from each one of these steps in a huge way. Right. All right, so what was the first step? Yeah, the first step was pray fervently. And so we've kind of talked a little bit about that. Uh, you know, he took this four months to to pray, and he uh, wanted to make sure that he was in alignment with God's will. And so, it's important that we that we pause and that we submit our plans to the Lord. You know, but this is this is one of those things where honestly, everybody listening is going, "Okay, pray fervently. That's good." Somebody offers me a new opportunity, I pray about it two or three days, and I give him an answer. <laughs> but that. That's not what you mean here, is it? No. I mean, sometimes it may be almost immediate that God gives you a response, but most of the time it's, you know, he wants you to lean in and to listen closely and to look around after you pray. I, one thing I've learned over the years is if I pray and I don't keep my eyes open afterwards, I'm probably going to miss what God's sending my direction because God usually does answer our prayers unconventionally as well. And so once I pray, I've kind of learned that, okay, I need to keep my eyes open. And who shows up on my doorstep right after my prayers? Or what message did I just hear on the radio that maybe is trying to answer, uh, you know, the question that I have? And so I, I try and keep my eyes open because the Lord will answer, but we have to be looking and listening. And I, I love that. I think the biggest key is as Christ followers, we need to learn to wait on the Lord, because as the song says, and I believe it's scripture, yes, it is scripture, faith will rise. Our faith will grow as we wait upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we just say, well, okay, I prayed for a couple of days. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I guess I'm going to move forward. But it's not mm-hmm. at all about feelings. It's about confirmation. It's about Nehemiah had been praying about it and praying for that opportunity, and he waited for the Lord to bring up that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so what's step two? First one is pray, then what's the second step? Step two is assess thoroughly. And so in any time you're in business, whether you've been around for a while uh, or you're just getting started, you really need to take a hard look at what's happened to date. And so whenever I work with uh, business clients, uh, I will actually do a, a financial assessment over the last three years of their organization to see what are the trends, what's going well, what's not going so well. 
And we need to assess that. And likewise, Nehemiah, when he got to Jerusalem, rather than charging in and saying, hey, there's a new sheriff in town, and we're going to do it my way, instead, he took three evenings to ride around in the quiet of the evening around the walls to assess how bad is it here? What all do we need to fix? And so if we don't know what needs fixed, then we may be addressing the wrong problems. Well, and really, you know, I think a, a term today in business would be due diligence. I mean, you're really, yes. you're doing the due diligence and nobody should ever enter into a business deal or any kind of a deal, any kind of a deal without doing some background checking, with do, the do, which would be part of the due diligence. I mean, today with the internet, you can find out just about anything on anybody and just about anything about any kind of market condition or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. That's a real key thing, but how often when you were dealing with businesses doing business mentoring and counseling, how often did you find that people had jumped into something without doing their due diligence? Uh, Very frequently, and sometimes they may have done some due diligence, but they did it on the surface. I remember when I was in banking, I had a guy that came in, and he was heartbroken because he'd bought in a small business, and uh, all of a sudden it wasn't cash flowing right out of the gate, and he had bought it assuming that it was going to continue, and as I dug into it, I, and I knew a little bit about the business that he bought. I said, so did you buy the retail and the wholesale? And he said, what wholesale? I'm like, you mean you didn't know that? The primary source of revenue in this business was the wholesale operation. He said, no, come to think of it, the guy has a business still running right next door to me. (laughs) And I said, well, he's the one making all the money, and you just got the shaft because you didn't do your due diligence, and you bought only half of what you thought you bought. Mm, Wow. That would be a brutal conversation to have. But mm-hmm. you, you sign a deal, that, and that's what happens when you don't do due diligence. When you don't do your research, you end up getting something you don't really know about, and what happens is two, three, four months down the road, you realize what you bought, or you yep. realize what you're part of, or you realize what ministry organization you joined, or you, you realize what kind of a networking group you're in, or what you realize the kind of company you just started to work for. Due diligence is a key in any decision that needs to be made. Mm-hmm. Yes, All right. We're talking today with Rick Box. From the Integrity Resource Center, which I really challenge you to get out there onto their website, integrityresource.org, and take their assessments, Take just find out more about what the Integrity Resource has to offer. But we're talking about Rick's book, Unconventional Business, and these five keys to growing a business God's way. And we've covered the first two points, which is pray fervently, and number two, assess thoroughly. This is part of the planning process, not pray and then go. It's pray. Do some research, and then I, I guess let's try to hit number three, Rick. Before I want, I really want to talk about what people can find out on your website. But let's let's talk about number the third point. What's the third point in a good business plan and a good plan? Well, the third point is seek God's vision, and we've kind of touched on that already. That uh, we don't want our vision; we really want to be in alignment with God's vision, and so that just means that we need to uh, seek out what He's revealing to us through Scripture, what He's revealing to us through the Holy Spirit, and through the circumstances and people around us, so that we get clarity on what it is God really is calling us to do. But how do we know? I mean, that's a tough one, Rick. How do we know that it's God's vision and not ours? How do we get ourselves out of the way to really hear what God is saying? 
You know, it, t- it does take some discipline. I, I oftentimes use uh, journaling a lot so that I'm quiet enough to kind of sit and write the thoughts that I'm having, uh, hopefully from the Lord. And and I always look for affirmation. Uh, I'm just a big fan that uh, I'm not smart enough to feel, feel like I've got it right every time. And so I just pray, Lord, you know, if I'm you know, if I'm missing this, if I'm not in alignment with you, then I, I need affirmation that I'm headed in the right path. And so I pray for people to either show up or something from Scripture or whatever, and I'm usually looking for multiple affirmations that I'm on the right trail. Well, and that's it, the multiple affirmations, not just you know a, a tingling feeling running down your leg, as some would say, but a, a, but multiple ways. It's not about feelings that it's that it's God being very direct and giving you an answer. Because as I have studied, and we, Martha and I just finished going through experiencing God. When God gives us a vision, when God gave a vision to all of the patriarchs in the Bible, He gave them a clear vision. They didn't mm-hmm. have to guess. And, and so, right. if we're trying to guess, then it's not a clear vision, and it's probably not the direction that God wants to send us in. Right. All right. So I really think we should stop the conversation there and cover those next four points next month because I really want people to find out what they can get on your website, Rick, because there's so much that Integrity Resource Center has to offer, and I don't want people to miss that. Talk sure. about these events because we got people listening all over the country. What you've got events? When are you? You've got events coming up in what cities and when? <laughs> Yes, we do uh, typically quarterly events in Kansas City, St. Louis, Des Moines, and in a couple of weeks we're uh, launching in Tulsa. And so we we bring in great Christian CEOs or authors or people that have a faith at work journey to share so that they can be an encouragement to others. And so those are great. I mean, for instance, we've got uh, coming up, our next event is going to be uh, Alan Robertson from Duck Dynasty is going to come share, uh, you know, how unconventional their business has been and what it's looked like. And so we've got just a lot of great speakers that come and share at the events. And how how do people find out about those events? Are those on your website? Yes, they are. Uh, they can uh, either go to integrityresource.org or they can also go to integrityevents.org, and it will go directly to the events page. Now, you also have some assess- an assessment on your webpage. What's that all about? Yeah, we have a FIRE assessment, and FIRE is an acronym that we use that stands for Faith, Integrity, Relationships, and Excellence. And we've discovered that those are four key areas that if we're addressing them well in our workplace, then we're likely in better alignment with God and his plan. And so that we have a self-assessment tool that people can go online, they can take that fire assessment, and they'll get an email back with their scores in comparison to the average scores of people that have taken the assessment. So it's just a great starting point. Rick Box with Integrity Resource Center talking about unconventional business. Thanks so much. Look forward to talking to you next month as we dig deep and more into those seven, the seven steps in a great business plan. Rick Box, thanks so much for today. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. As we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, I just want to challenge you to go out to integrityresource.org and really check out their website. Get a copy of this book, Unconventional Business. It applies to so much more of life than just business. It's really all about living an unconventional life during the week. How do we follow Christ and have it look unconventional? Speaking of unconventional, how about joining the I Work For Him Nation? Go out to iworkforhim.com and click on the I Work For Him Nation flag. 
Make the choice to be a difference, a change agent in your workplace. Find out what it means. IWorkForHim.com. Click on the I Work For Him Nation flag. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.